0: I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is a Spacing Radio Municipal Election Special. Welcome, everybody, to another Spacing Radio Special Election Panel. This episode, we're going to be talking about transit issues in Toronto. So we have guests, Matt Elliott, who's a Toronto Star columnist and proprietor at the City Hall Watcher newsletter. And we have Trisha Wood, who's an urban geography professor at York and spacing urban affairs columnist. Welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Nice to be here.
0: Uh, I wanted to get the ball rolling with uh, just, uh, I think the last time we've talked uh, and throughout the pandemic, we keep talk talking about how we're We've learned a lot of lessons during the pandemic, and uh, I'm wondering, uh, specifically speaking about transit and uh, um, alternative forms of transit, active transportation, that kind of thing, how much of those lessons really have stuck? And uh, do you think uh, we'll we'll see some of them carry forward?
2: Um, Yeah, it's a good question. It's a big question. Uh, I I, There was, you know, the pandemic was terrible. I want to get that out uh, right up the top. I am, I was not in favor of the pandemic. I was anti pandemic. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but I do think that there, you know, one of the, the, the things that was cool to see was like the city actually working quickly to do things and implement things. So on active transportation, like spinning up, uh, you know, like, I think it was 40 kilometers of bike lanes, uh, over, you know, uh, Four to six week period or whatever it was we hadn't seen that in toronto like ever you know there's usually this process where it's like we got to go through like this consultation and then the second consultation and we got to do a report and we got to go to council and show them traffic impacts and all this stuff and this was a case where it was like you know what we have this pandemic people are saying they are looking for ways to get around that they feel confident about as being safe Uh, cycling was near the top of the list and they were able to, to make major transformation happen very, very quickly. Uh, it would have been nice to see that sort of continue on after. Uh, I don't think it has. I think the council and city hall quickly fell back to their old ways. And now, you know, we're not seeing that same sort of enthusiasm. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. Like it, it's, yes, it was a pandemic, but, uh, getting stuff done quickly, uh, is a good thing all the time.
1: It was really nice to see uh how responsive the city could be as as matt says um that is encouraging for the future i agree that uh the current uh mayor and council um you know have demonstrated that they're not committed to you know this kind of public vision of uh active mobility in the city because it largely hasn't been maintained and i think we saw with uh the challenge that came from uh the Blue Jays, for example, just how weak our commitment to even minor uh, improvements in access um, actually was. You're talking uh,
0: about, for, for listeners who may not know, uh, the, the active TO kind of uh, opening up uh, stretches of the lakeshore, that kind of thing for active transportation. Uh, as soon as the Blue Jays season came back, uh, they said, well, we can't possibly do that because what about all the traffic that will be generated by the baseball team?
1: Yeah. And so for those of us who are old enough to remember when uh, Skydome, which I insist on calling it, uh, was put in, you know, the argument for putting it downtown and not in a more suburban area was that it would have all this access to public transit. People would not need to drive. There isn't actually that much parking provided, um, you know, for it uh, in the um, building and the environs because that was the point. So, you know, I think it's really striking and telling to see, you know, how quickly an argument for automobility, you know, wins the day over something that was extraordinarily popular and could have been part of, you know, a larger shift in our thinking towards, you know, the, the city being used that way and, and belonging to the general public in that way. But instead, we're we're sliding back to uh, our usual way, which is very auto-centric in Toronto. Very, very quickly. The other thing that we did not learn when it comes to um, transportation is around transit. One thing we might have learned is that it's quite possible to make public transit safe, that it's actually one of the safest public spaces you can be in in terms of ventilation. Um, It would have been great to have kept the mask mandate um, Mm -hmm. because the pandemic's not exactly over. I'm also anti pandemic for the record. Um, <laughs> well,
0: bold stances from both of you. I'm surprised <laughs> 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 hate that um, virus
1: but the other thing is to bring like ridership has come back faster than expected, but one of the things that we have also learned is uh, from other cities' examples uh, coming out of the pandemic or trying to is that uh, ridership comes back as service comes back right so it's not just a oh, I don't trust this space, it's that you know there were so many service cuts. And there are so many other interruptions because of some of the construction, you know, to the TTC, uh, that one of the reasons that it hasn't come back uh, as high as it might have uh, is the service is not there. And even for the ridership that's there, the service hasn't come back. I mean, I certainly know uh, taking it on weekends, uh, like in August, I mean, it was extremely busy and the service really wasn't uh, sufficient for the volume of Traffic that was there. I really want to emphasize the mask mandate thing, too, because that's that's a lesson we didn't learn about how to keep public space safe. Uh, where I am right now in Madrid, um, everyone is really acting like the pandemic is done. You don't see um, people here wearing masks, uh, you know, in, in shops and you know, stores, restaurants or, or whatever, really hardly at all. Yeah, But on the metro and on buses and on intercity trains, masks are still mandatory. And surprise, everybody wears them. Yeah. And I know that if there were no mandate, nobody would be wearing them. <laughs> so um, that's at least one lesson that's been learned here. And it's really good to see.
0: Yeah. I I've, I've, In my own experience, uh, I mean, coming out of the pandemic, as you say, it's still going on. But I feel relatively more informed about what the risks are. So, uh, you know, I, I was ready to hop on the TTC um, with my mask on, but uh, I have noticed that I've been taking a lot of Ubers, and I, I, I hate to say that, I I don't like having to take Ubers, but I live on a major street in downtown Toronto with a, a major streetcar line, and uh, every time I tried to take it, uh, the service was just terrible, like, I'd get kicked off, it, it, it would short-turn, uh, you know, they were f- fewer and far between, and uh, so... Sometimes like you just got to get to a place and know that you're going to get to a place quickly, uh, reliably. And so, you know, even though I'm more comfortable now knowing what we know about the pandemic taking transit, I haven't been as much as I should be, especially for my bank account, because it's just, uh, it's like a, a totally different city. Uh, I used to be able to pretty reliably take transit. I know every, every Torontonian has gripes about transit, but anecdotally for me, it's never been this bad.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um because I I, I think I've talked to the T D C and they say, you know, our schedule is close to where it was before the pandemic and you know we you know on an Excel sheet somewhere it's like we're running the same level of service or close to it that we were before. But I think what we've seen is sort of like this slow deterioration of like just the the quality of service on the street. Um, you know, if you look at the way street cars are operated, and there doesn't seem to be like a real enthusiasm to run it to any sort of schedule uh the sort of uh measures that were in place to to keep things running at a level we could be proud of no longer exist so but you read, like, the C- uh, TTC CEO's report every month, and it's like, hey, we're doing great. So there's this real uh, disconnect that is is very frustrating between, you know, what they say they're doing and what they are actually doing. And I agree with you, Glenn. Like, uh, it, it's, you used to be able to, to you know, at least somewhat count on, on taking the TTC to get where you need to be. But these days, it's it's a crapshoot.
1: Yeah. yeah, there absolutely are more minor delays as well um, on all vehicles. Um, and, you know, that affects service, too. Even, you know, where where they are still running the same number of vehicles as before, which I would, by the way, say was inadequate, um, you know, in the pre-pandemic. But even if we were back to that or close to back to that, it's not running to the same level of service. There are certain points on on subway lines, for example, where I notice there's always, you know, a stop and stay before you enter the station, um, that's new. I completely agree. Um, there have been times where I've been really heavily reliant on it, um, for multiple trips and it, it used to be extremely reliable. Um, and that is no longer the case as so many other things that people have observed in the city. There's this, you know, slow, steady erosion of, of service. Yeah. And,
0: uh, that's something I worry about, uh, that may be a casualty of the pandemic is before that happened, we were at least consistently talking about, ridership growth that we had growth targets it it wasn't just about maintaining what we had um it it was about uh, trying to maintain a, a steady sort of a uh, proportional increase year year over year uh i'm i'm interested to see if candidates are going to sort of talk about that or if if that kind of goal is has just uh, gone by the wayside I, i'd like to see some some uh, mayoral candidates uh, uh talk you know in le- at length, in depth, about uh, what they would do to not just restore service, but to grow ridership again. Like like we were, I think, really making an effort to do. Um, you know, say two year, two and a half years ago, whenever that was, the before times.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's been like this. This has been an interesting election because it's the first election after you know the provincial government came in and made some changes to who was responsible for various aspects of, of transit and mm-hmm. transit construction. So, you know, this election, we haven't seen uh, mayoral candidates come out with like, here's my transit map, you know, and there's lines going everywhere uh, as much as we have had in in past elections, because ultimately the province is going to build what the province is going to build. And there's sort of this era of like resignation to like that is just what the, the reality is going to be. Uh, but, you know, that still leaves lots of room for mayoral candidates and council candidates to talk about the service that. They're going to fund to run on, you know, the, these rails. Um, Gil Panalosa came out with some ideas on um, dedicated bus lanes, which I think is an area where City Hall can really move the needle and it'd be similar to what they did uh, during the pandemic with the the bike lanes. Is, you know, you don't need to spend years and years and years, you know. Come up with a plan to dedicate bus lanes. You could do that uh pretty quickly, you know, it wouldn't be like the most permanent kind of infrastructure, but we're not talking about uh much more than just sort of separating out lanes and saying this this is for buses or streetcars or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it seems to me that because the province has more control now, City Hall seems content to just sort of say, okay, well, that's just not our thing anymore. Like we'll just leave that to Queen's Park, which is I think very dangerous because Queen's Park has shown uh, an appetite for funding the construction of transit and, and capital projects, but they have not shown any appetite to fund operating. And I, I worry about the situation, you know, like the Eglinton LRT, whenever that's going to open, uh, will have a huge impact on the TTC's operating budget because they got to pay to to operate service on it. That same will be true for Finch. Same will be true eventually for Scarborough Subway, Ontario Line and whatever else. And like, where's this money going to come from? Uh, there's a real chance it comes from like, hey, we're just going to take some money from this bus service over here and put it over here on this, this shiny new line.
1: Yeah, I agree that um, there's a lot that can be done with buses. A number of us have been advocating for that really as, as something that could very quickly, very inexpensively be transformative for mobility uh, in the city. Um, so I like people who are thinking with with bus lanes and especially transit prioritization. It's, it's amazing, speaking of lessons not learned, um, to have seen the success of King Street and and then so little progress, a, a little bit around buses. You know, I know the TTC is pushing forward. They've got a short list, but, you know, there's not a, there's, like everything else we've been talking about. There's not a lot of ambition in the city mm-hmm. to be doing this, but you could absolutely do some transit prioritization very quickly. That would have a huge impact. It would help a lot of people who are relying on transit. And it would also, by the way, help uh, the economy, the city's economy recover uh, from the pandemic, because you need people to be able to, you know, to move around, uh in order for for that to happen, Um and we've really limited ourselves by sliding back to automobility because that's just fewer people moving more slowly.
0: Yeah, Matt, you you kind of anticipated my my next question, which, uh, you know, I'll, I'll frame as given the you know the sort of new territory where the province has sort of uploaded a lot of the responsibility for transit. What will be uh the transportation responsibilities of the next mayor and council uh whoever they are and whatever that looks like
2: yeah I think i mean it's it's service the the great fear at city hall right now is is that we're gonna see a, a death spiral and as you might guess from the name death spiral a death spiral is bad uh, <laughs> but that's you know when because ridership is not you know recovered uh especially on weekdays to the level that we saw pre-pandemic somebody's going to come along and say you know what we should adjust our budget to fit that reality of ridership and when you do that service gets worse so ridership gets worse and you just keep going down and down and down this sort of spiral of death where uh funding and ridership are just lower and lower and lower until somebody hopefully comes along and says you know what we just got to fund this service even if it means we're going to be running some empty buses and trains for a while because once people see that uh theoretically they will, will get on uh, so that's the big fear. Uh, there's a real chance that happens, especially considering the city hall is basically like just counting on provincial and federal money to sort of bail them out. And I think that money tap's going to get turned off relatively soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in an ideal world, uh, the city would be looking at. Uh, a ridership growth strategy, very aggressive, um, to get more people to, to get on transit. We've seen some interesting data on weekend ridership being really high and higher than expected as people are turning to the TDC and go transit to, to get where they need to go on the weekends. And it's like, let's, let's have service there to respond to that and make sure that people are, who are trying it out, the train on the weekend are saying, Hey, this is a good way to get around. I'm going to keep doing this. And then, uh, you know, uh, we keep. Like this idea of of automobility and, you know, how do you prioritize thing, I think is like fundamental for City Hall because, you know, you you send a message. And if you send the message that driving is sort of the the mode of transportation we're going to prioritize, that will like filter through all kinds of policy things, you know, from like. Uh, road safety to cycling to to transit to, to everything else so you know in that sense i think what people you know got so frustrated about with active TO is it was like a real signal that okay the pandemic is over and we've decided you know city halls decided that the car is king again and uh it, it's just something that you worry about because like that's that's like a fundamental statement of principles. Is saying, okay, like how how are we going to prioritize our transportation? And I'm really interested to see how the the new council, which is not going to be totally different from the old council, but we'll have some new people on it, will will uh, manage that.
1: Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. So one, I, I share the concern about a death spiral because the other thing a death spiral uh, around transit service will do is it will intensify the housing crisis because people will pay more and more of a premium to be closer to where they need to go. So it's only going to accelerate, you know, the, the price inflation that we have in Toronto, which is contributing to a very, very serious housing crisis. And so that makes the spiral that the city's in even harder to, to get out of. The other thing though, about your question of, um, you know, what are mayor and count, what are the new mayor and council going to be able to do mm-hmm. uh, in terms of decision-making? I really believe uh, that a lot of that is legislated and a lot of that is not legislated. Like there's just a basic kind of politics to it. And there is a degree to which mayor and council will do um, as much as they fight to to do. And they haven't fought a ton to... Um, You know, to kind of counter the province's moves on uh, transit planning, they are participating and, uh, you know, when invited, uh, and they're making good contributions and so on then, but there's more that the city could be doing and one of the things I've been interested in. Seeing uh, Toronto do is actually work with its regional partners. Uh, towards a more kind of solidaristic approach, uh, particularly because we need that kind of approach on the coordination of transit in the region anyway.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I've been really interested in what happened in Edmonton, where Edmonton and neighboring municipalities themselves took the initiative to come together, meet, discuss, figure out a relationship, and they've created a regional agency that the province is now blessed with. I don't think it's actually all, but most of the municipalities in the region you know, to coordinate uh, transit delivery. There's no, there's nothing stopping the city of Toronto and its neighbors from doing that. And that kind of political solidarity would be a really good balance for them working with the province instead of in this kind of scrambled and everybody working against everybody, um, you know, kind of politicking or just sitting back and saying, oh, well, there's nothing we can do and, you know, letting it happen, Um which I don't think is serving the city particularly well. Metrolinx uh, has its positive attributes as does Infrastructure Ontario, um, but they don't have a more successful record on a number of things, including delivery, uh, as we know now from the Crosstown. And they are fundamentally not regional bodies. They're provincial bodies. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to serve the the province or sorry, excuse me. They're not going to serve the region as well as a regional agency would. and that's the kind of stuff that I've been looking at comparatively, uh, and I think is a real weakness where we are, because that's generally the model that helps that helps on both the things that Matt raised helps on, you know, responsible, shall we say, uh, development in terms of capital projects and on making sure that there is appropriate funding for operations across the board.
0: I mean, to be fair to uh, the municipalities of the greater Toronto and Hamilton area uh it, it seems like the at the provincial level uh that that scrambling was intentional uh they've been scrambled uh but i, I certainly do like the the idea of uh municipalities coming together um to uh form a sort of union uh, and, and to get started what uh, what the perhaps bungling uh premier cannot
2: yeah, and I think it's interesting because like that was the original model for MetroLink, you know? It was like we're going to have this transportation body, there'll be a board, it'll be made up with, you know, mayors will sit on it, <laughs> local politicians will sit on it, like it, it's going to uh fill this role and that lasted I think like a couple of years before the province was like, ah, "Actually, we don't want these politicians on the board anymore. We're going to replace them with uh I mean, it's a fun like trivia question to ask people who like follow transit uh, in the GTA, really closely. Can you name like one Metrolink's board member?
1: I used to be able to. And that's like, something that I study and follow closely, but you know, yeah, I, I can't remember either.
2: It's literally like, you know, like in some movies where they like cut to like this shadowy cabal of people <laughs> that are like pulling the strings and it's like, who they don't even show their faces. It has that sort of vibe to it because it's like, who are these people? Um, They they don't even have to be
1: approved by the legislature. They're just appointed by cabinet. Like it's so (laughs) opposite of transparent.
2: Yeah. And like half their meeting is conducted in camera. And like, it just is, it's not the kind of like accountability That we want to see and so you end up with things like yes the crosstown got delayed nobody is really surprised by that because it's been delayed before but i was a bit surprised that they didn't even bother to like give themselves a new deadline it was just like it's delayed and it'll open at some point yeah uh you know i i think this is like a boiled frog thing where we just have sort of accepted that this is the the reality but like if you were to construct like a, a regional governance model for transportation especially considering like the gta i think is spending more on transportation over the next decade or two decades than like you know, any city in North America, maybe the world, like it's, it's a ton of money and we just don't have any real oversight over it at all. Um, you know, when you actually think about it, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, how did we get here? Yeah.
1: Your point about how much money we're spending is a really important one because the P3 model costs more precisely because it's supposed to, um, transfer the risk and therefore eliminate the risk of you know, going over budget, going over schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't, we just pay more, you know, to, I don't make ourselves feel better that we're not, you know, we're, we don't have this, we're reducing the risk. Um, But we don't like, so we pay more for the same thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it'll open
1: whenever, you know, I was actually sorry that I was going to be away this fall several months ago because it was supposed to open while I was away. And I thought, Oh gosh, I'll miss it. Why did I think I was (laughs) going (laughs) to,
0: I know better So optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. You you didn't miss much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wondered, uh, you know, I I think uh, we've already said that uh, this, this election is not heavy on uh, specific transit plans, but uh, I've sort of got the key points of the two mayoral front runners Uh, We can sort of talk about that. And then uh, if there's any other candidates or or platforms or ideas that are standing out to you, we can get into that too. Um, Tory's main thing is, uh, I think the the wording was, he continues to champion a $28 billion transit plan. I think that's a little disingenuous because, first of all, it's not really all his money. I mean, most of it comes from other levels of government. Um, It's also not assured that – I I don't think it's – Assured that we're going to see all of that $28 billion worth and, and what that's going to look like. Um, so is that just my opinion or is is that a little disingenuous to say that uh, his plan after uh, defending his eight year record now is to that he's going to continue to be a champion?
2: Yeah, I, I thought that was a bit, uh, ridiculous just because, I mean, Tory, like this plan basically fell out of the sky when Doug Ford was elected. And yes, there are elements, like the Ontario line is similar to the downtown relief line, which we've been working on for, a long time and the uh, Scarborough subway had obviously been like a, a long saga um but you know this was not something that the mayor went to Queens Park and said here's what I want you to fund like it was the other way around and mm-hmm. now he's saying he'll just continue to champion it and it's like well okay like it it <clears throat> you know it's like saying you're gonna to champion the weather like it just <laughs> happened to him and so, like, he had some rhetoric in there, rhetoric in there, where it was like, "I'm gonna, you know, make sure to defend this plan against council that might come along and and try to to change it or, or cancel it or, or whatever." Which I thought was pretty, like, that is not my experience that council <laughs> will stand up to that level. uh, Definitely not a majority of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I was surprised, and then there was like nothing new in it. Like, there was nothing. That was like, oh, and in addition to this stuff that's already happening in my new term, I'm going to do this, you know, whether it's something on service, whether it's, you know, really uh, being more aggressive, whether it's adding to the rapid TO plan to do some more dedicated bus lanes. It was just surprising in the sense that there wasn't really anything ambitious in it. And then, of course, we have to mention that, you know, track, which was the transit plan that John Tory touted to get elected in 2014, I think now is like the 13th bullet point on this list of things that he's going to do related to transit. And it looks nothing like the plan that he touted in 2014. So, you know, it, it, some people just sort of say it's old news now, but I really think that that's just like a case study in somebody making a transit promise that was never realistic and uh, quickly just abandoning it when they could get into office and just not good politics. And uh, I don't like, think we should get away, let him get away with it. We should keep bringing it up.
1: I completely agree about SmartTrack. Um, because in fact, really, the end result is that we wound up um, putting the city on the hook for paying for things for stations that were in Metrolinx's planning, kind of anyway. Yeah. Uh, SmartTrack did not really amount to anything new, mm-hmm. except new things that we're paying for that we probably didn't need to, and we don't have it. Right, we're we're eight years into Tory as mayor, and last I checked, it's not. It's not running. It doesn't exist. It's not anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how anyone could pay attention to Corey as mayor in the last eight years and follow transit and consider him a champion of, of, of transit or active mobility or, or anything. He certainly has made uh, a bigger show of showing up for, you know, getting traffic moving. He certainly made more arguments for we should not let him off the hook for the gardener either mm-hmm. right for it's how important it is to save people on the gardener you know th- three minutes and never discuss like how much time people are on transit and what those delays and so on wink, service cuts etc are costing them I, I really i really do not see how you could possibly disingenuous is such a kind word glenn to say that he's championing championing uh transit i mean eight years is a long time, and you really could have a lot more to show for it than than he does. And in fact, we, the transit improvements we have, like King Street, uh, were really things that he had to be talked into. Right. One of the first things he said about King Street, um, with you know, I guess in anticipation of the pushback that came from uh, some quarters, was basically, "Don't worry." we're not, this is, this is a pilot, you know, this is a test. We're not planning to do this to the rest of the city. Like he's really had to be talked into, uh, you know, the things that we've done. I, there's no, he's, he's king of the automobile and Mm -hmm. making space for it and accommodating it. And I think it arises also from a particularly kind of privatized understanding of the city, because to go back to the active TO stuff and the kind of opening of space and like the, Everything's got a TO. I think it was Cafe TIO, right? Mm-hmm. Where we opened some, you know, um, street lanes, road lanes for um, out, outdoor service for restaurants and and so on. Um, most of the space that was open to kind of expand that kind of you know public realm of active mobility was for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't as much and that was a more vulnerable stuff of just creating space for people to be and to move, like opening the lakeshore. Like that's the first stuff to go. The stuff where that's got some kind of commercial activity associated with it. Um, that That's the stuff he's he's more in favor of. And so he and council, I think, are really failing to make the connection between uh, how a broader kind of public mobility actually supports the urban economy, not only privatized uh, forms of mobility in space.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to be reminded that, you know, Tory did have to be talked into something like the, the priority uh, King street uh, street car lane, because it, it now is a bullet point uh, in his uh, tra- championship uh, transit plan that he'll, he will continue to, uh, to do that. Um, Basically, after eight years, his his pitch is, uh, you guys have never had it so good. Um, But uh, I think, uh, I mean, he probably will ride back into office. But uh, I think if you pulled any given Torontonian from any corner of the city uh, and be like, do you feel like you've never had it so good? Uh, I think the the answer would be uh, uh, maybe laughter or tears.
1: (laughs) Can I I do the obnoxious European thing here? Oh, please. Um, But where are you
0: right now, uh, Tricia?
1: I'm in Madrid, Spain, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm studying uh, public transit and public space here and in Barcelona. Um, And it's it's really striking because Madrid is a very good comparator to Toronto for kind of size and scale. And, uh, you know, fairly recently, Madrid has expanded um, its public transit system and it has an extensive metro system, a subway system uh, in particular. And so every time I hear, as I continue to try and follow Toronto politics a little bit from here, you know, this kind of language of we've never had it so good. I realize your your point, Matt, about, you know, frog boiling water is spot on. Our our expectations are like through the floor in Toronto. So it's same size of city approximately in terms of both city and metro area. Like these are pretty good comparators. We have three metro lines effectively right in, in Toronto, uh, Madrid has 12. Right. And they intersect all over the place. We have what? Three, four points of intersection. I'm thinking Spadina, St. George, Gloria Young and Shepard for the Shepherd line. Right. Yeah, Cause I'm not counting the Scarborough RT. If we're going to do that, well, we've got three more LRT lines to add to Madrid's 12. So we're just sticking with Metro lines for the moment, but I can't find a metro line, like a main metro line running through the city that has fewer than like five connections with other lines. Most of them have eight, nine, ten. Like it's this really dense, flexible web that really covers the city. And it runs extremely well and extremely reliably. It has very good service. It has very good wayfinding. It has very, like it's extremely well done. And it's a point of pride. Um, When you talk to Madrid residents. And it's also very well connected to the public spaces beyond it. Like it is a public space, not just a public service. And it's very well connected to the city. So like using it, you don't really feel like you leave the city traveling, then re-enter the city. You feel like you're just moving through the city in a different way. Um, and and you know, I, I see this, and I see also the connection to commuter rail, all of which with us are at Union Station, if I recall, like the memory's dimming. Let me know if I've forgotten about a station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so commuter rail connects with the metro here in at least 20 stations. I actually had trouble counting on the map because I kept losing my place. Wow. Right. like, the, like but there's no reason that Toronto can't have a comparable system. Like maybe we can't go underground for all of it and we shouldn't go underground for all of it. Mm -hmm. Some of it can be LRT. A lot of it could be BRT, but we absolutely could have as strong a system. It's not like we've got a weaker economy or less wealth or less political capacity or less anything else than Madrid. And if we want, we can, as we have in other places, we can hire, you know, Spanish companies to help us with this. if (laughs) If we need the help, but you know, like the, that, that level of expectation and ambition is is what we should have. And we're, you know, the idea that that we would accept this mayor as saying we've never had it so good or consider him a champion of transit and active mobility is is, is insane. And we really should have much, much, much higher expectations. In fact, we should be demanding so much more. But it's not just you know, ordinary citizens, because I think ordinary citizens of Toronto actually do, I think we've got a lot of good transit advocacy. I would really like to see so much more of it show up not only in the mayor, but in the councillors we elect. I'd like to see council putting much, much more pressure on whoever is mayor, um, you know, to move in this to move in this direction and really build a better city.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's this idea percolating that like transit is a Queen's Park thing now. So, you know, the city should just like, hang back and let them handle it but like there's even if the hands of the mayor are tied and the hands of counselors are tied legislatively like there's still an advocacy role there's still you can still fight for stuff and i think it's the lack of fight that has really become stark in this city like there's little you know the active po on lakeshore west went away without like a big uproar from you know progressive counselors uh, You have like the waterfront uh LRT as the transit project that, you know, there's like bridges in place for the rails to run over. It's not as anywhere near as expensive as other projects. You know, the uh, mayor could be out there really making demands for for that money to get it going. And it, it hasn't happened. You know, the thing the mayor has fought for the most on transit, as far as I can tell, is to make sure that there isn't the subway station entrance on the lawn of Osgood Hall, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know, fine, probably doesn't need to be a subway entrance there, but it was just really stark to me that like, that was the thing that really fired up Tory on the transit file and not, you know, there's the Ontario line is going to be this massive project. That's going to take like a decade of of heavy construction in the downtown core. And there doesn't seem to be like a real desire for anybody, especially the mayor to really get in there with Metrolinx and say, you know what, like, I want to really look at your plan and make sure that we're doing this in in the best way possible. And yes, I mean, ultimately, it's Metrolink's call and Queen's Park's call, but the the mayor has a mandate and, you know, can go out there and make some noise about it, but doesn't seem to be all that interested in doing so.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we see this argument in city council debates from time to time where someone will stand up and say, why are we even talking about this? This isn't our, you know, this isn't our jurisdiction. But if you are a politician who truly believes that it doesn't matter to stand up and advocate for things, why are you in this job? That's how you got your job, right? Presumably.
1: 100%. Right. 100%. Because that that form of politics, you know, like how, how public opinion is shaped and how public, you know, how publics and politicians are able to bring pressure that, you know, changes decisions. That's not insignificant. We should never abandon that part of politics, like the legislative and, you know, part is important And the like, who's got jurisdictional authority. That's important, but it's not the whole game. And we should not abandon the field just because, you know, we haven't got the whole field or something. It's silly. Uh,
0: I wanted to just uh, go back to uh, Tricia. You brought up the the gardener. And uh, I think I have to unpack that for listeners because the that battle was now seven years ago. Uh, so hopefully. Hi. New Gen Z listeners. Uh, so the Gardener, <laughs> the Gardener East Expressway is a, a decrepit, uh, underused uh, piece of uh, an eyesore uh, that is a barrier to uh, to our lakefront. And uh, you know, many people said it was kind of an outmoded sort of. Uh, version of uh, transportation planning and that we should just knock it down and and build a boulevard and and there there were all kinds of studies that said it really wouldn't make a difference uh, except in the positive uh and uh you know a uh, mer- Tory championed uh, that no we're we're not just we're not only going to keep it up we're going to spend a, a billion plus dollars uh modifying it slightly i i i believe so that uh, some developers can build some developy things um, and so that's still on the books although we haven't really made any progress on that and uh maybe that's good uh because i am still holding on to hope uh that uh someone uh, a true champion uh will will come out swinging against it and say hey if we're crawling out of a pandemic if we're looking for ways to fund the things that we need uh i just found a a billion plus dollars um uh just almost like that so uh you know that's uh for new, uh, for our newer listeners, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's still something that's hanging over our head that, uh, Tori would like to, uh, say is, uh, you know, uh, done and, uh, you know, a done deal, but, uh, I, I truly hope it's not still.
2: Yeah, I mean, whether it's doable to go back and revisit that decision and cancel it, I, I'm not sure about that. But like the financial aspect of it and how it still hangs over the city's budget, you know, that's at times the spending on a gardener in any given year has been like half of the state of good repair budget for. Uh, you know, repairs to things. It's like dwarfed the money spent on like vision zero and cycling and anything else. So it, it goes back to like, you know, if you want to understand a city's priorities, uh, look at the budget and mm-hmm. the overwhelmingly so. This, you know, one piece of highway has been like the city's top priority for transportation. Uh, you know, not just for the last seven years, but for the next, you know, however long it's going to be before everything gets done, like at least another decade. Uh, and, you know, if I like it, it, a revisiting decision is, is worth doing, but I also, I, I think Tory just accepting this would be something the city would pay for 100% was just a, a terrible decision that is still paying for, you know, if I was the mayor, I would have said, okay, like, we're going to sell this. Like, anybody want to buy this? Like, the, uh. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, like, or, you know, uh, the idea of road tolls, like there was no mechanism for actually paying for this, this project and this highway beyond just going to the city budget. And, you know, you look at this mayor's record on fiscal matters and unwillingness to really invest in in things. But when it came time to to spend on our lakefront highway, uh, no amount of money was too big. It was just, you know, we got to do this. So. I think it's like fundamental. The Gardner debate is fundamental to understanding John Tory's uh, term in office, and because I can't think of a decision that's been more impactful uh, in terms of the budget, in terms of priorities.
1: It's uh, you're completely right about the the money. I think it's actually the vast majority of the the transport state of good repair budget. It's all, it's like the Gardner is just eating it alive, and I think that there are you know, ripples coming back into our, what we've been talking about earlier in terms of service and the state of good repair of the city in general. If you read budgets, as some of us do, uh, down to the details every year, you will see that one of the kind of markers of Tory's time as mayor is, uh, is the extent to which stuff has been kicked down the road and state of good repair, uh, particularly on the transportation file. Um has been significant. So instead of kind of maintaining things, we've been kind of borrowing from 10 years from now, we're not going to maintain it. We'll fix it, you know, five, 10 years, and it just gets larger and larger and larger. Um, Yeah. The TTC will keep running. Yeah. Roads will, and sidewalks will still sort of be there, but they're not going to be in as good shape and and they're not, and there are going to be more delays when there are issues. Um, And if we don't, you know, pour money into doing, Certain kinds of construction and maintenance faster. Well, then the delays and the disruption is longer, and that erodes the quality of life of just living and trying to move around in this city. Uh, That city, I should say. At the moment, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and uh, but but you know we didn't get here by accident. It's not like somebody sort of like oh gosh how how did we not uh, plan to maintain? We planned to allow things to fall into disrepair. Budget after budget after budget. If you look at the state of good repair budget and when we anticipated, you know, paying for things and doing things, we just kept moving it down the road. But yes, wow. When it came to saving people three minutes on the gardener, suddenly we had more money and suddenly we were willing to spend that money against the advice of the uh, review that I think was done by Deloitte uh, on what would be the safest Um, You know, most responsible, most environmental, one that would provide the most, uh, you know, kind of quality of life and housing in that area and everything else. Uh, We decided to to spend more money to not have that, to go against the advice that we paid to get. Uh, It's I, I know it's not literally criminal, but it borders on criminal.
0: The the Gardner debate is also a good segue into who is probably the the main challenger to Tory uh, Gil Penalosa. Uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, his bus rapid transit plan, which is he's he's branding fast lane. Uh, it's uh, he, he plans to spend about three point two billion dollars uh, for sixty two kilometers of uh, uh, rapid bus lanes throughout the city, kind of uh, completing a, a sort of a network uh, in, in a lot of areas, uh, especially in the sort of inner suburbs, uh, um, you know, outside of the downtown core where they, they could truly use it. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that plan is, uh, uh, you know, when, when he says how he's going to pay for it, uh, he he says, uh, that he will scrap the gardener. as Matt says, I don't know if he can make that promise, but, uh, so we don't need to get into that specifically, but, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, we all, we all love buses. Uh, you know, Tricia, you, you teach up at York. I'm a former Yorkie. Uh, you know, <laughs> Matt, you, you teach at the Lakeshore campus at Humber. Uh, I, I was a North Shore campus guy. So, uh, both, both of my alma mater's, I, I spent a long time on the bus. And you know what? It's, uh, it's a good way to get around when you can rely on the service. Um, and I just, uh, I think in, in areas, uh, there's a lot of areas in the city that really could use uh more of this and and more reliable service from that
2: yeah i think just doing it would be uh nice uh because one of the things that's frustrating to me is uh you know to any sort of deviation from the status quo of you know roads are for cars the city is expecting and demanding just like a boatload of, of data and i love data i'm a data guy mm-hmm. but it just strikes me that uh you know there's a huge opportunity in just like you know trying stuff and uh with dedicated bus lanes especially like there, there's a lot we can do um and i i'm just like what i really liked about the panelosa plan was a there was this recognition that you know the bus dedicated bus lanes were something that were you know directly within council's control to, to do um so it can be done and b it just sort of recognized that the bus network is like you know the 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 lifeblood of the TTC in a lot of ways and uh you know if all the buses disappeared tomorrow and we just had the subway and streetcar lines and LRT lines like the ridership would drop participants uh huge because there's just not this uh it'll be you know nobody would be able to connect to the these main lines uh but at the same time you know uh, not a lot of conversation happens about buses especially during um mayoral elections uh and when it comes time to potentially cut service or adjust service as they might say uh buses are tend to be the first thing to to face the chopping block you know the shepherd subway will run forever <laughs> eternally mm-hmm. but uh bus routes that you know potentially have uh almost as much ridership on some days uh, could potentially uh, see service cuts if they haven't already. So I, I do think there's uh, a real uh, lots of potential in the, the bus plan. I, I would have liked to see uh, a bit more, especially in like the downtown areas. I still think that it's kind of madness that we had the King street car priority project, which by all accounts through all the data that had to be collected, was a smashing success. And, mm-hmm. you know, having experience that success. We decided to never do it again. And it's like, you know, let's let's build on things that work uh, but there's this real reluctance to really to do that um, so uh, i would like to see that but i understand like downtown's going to be a construction zone for a long time so maybe we just sort of have to accept that the streetcars are going to be messed up for a decade which seems very cynical but maybe that's where we are
1: i also love the humble bus
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i think uh it's a shame that we're so in love with the shiny shiny When it comes to transit development and service, that we kind of miss the workhorse that is the bus. Uh, More people take the bus on the TTC than take the subway or take the streetcar. Like it carry as as a mode, it carries more than any other individual mode. It also was the ridership to recover first. Um, So those are those are your really loyal, you know, riders. Well, um, of necessity, right? Yeah, but they're also. They're also still choosing to ride. Mm-hmm. They're showing, you know, they're they're there, and maybe they need to. Uh, maybe it's a choice. And regardless, there are riders who deserve better service than they get. Um, mm-hmm. It may be very very sad to see that you know the repeated photos of absolutely packed buses. You know, when ridership came back really before service did, and they were already packed. I, I mean, oh, I yeah. think Matt touched on this in, in passing, but like many bus routes in Toronto carry more passengers than most transit lines in North America. Mm-hmm. Right. We we and, and in suburban areas where people always say in other parts of the world, especially in the United States, say that you can never run stuff because there isn't in the suburbs because there isn't enough demand. You know, Toronto has really put the lie to that with a with very, very successful bus service. Buses are also Uh, the most flexible and if we think of all the construction and the other kinds of delays that are possible the fact that a bus can just say oh I'm going to turn here and go around that and three blocks later I'm back on my route like streetcar can't do that the subway can't do that like it's buses are good I know like maybe Mm -hmm. they're they're ordinary and you know but they're they're a really good um, mode of transit And, uh, and when you add in transit prioritization and express service, like what you can do with them for relatively little money uh, is extraordinary. And I'm familiar with the, the, the plan from the Penalosa campaign. And I would actually say you could probably do a lot of that for less than the budget number that's been put on that. I'm not privy to the details, um, you know, of of how, how that was all come up with, but you could do a lot for very little. The, the little bit of bus prioritization and stuff in the the planning um, that the TTC has for further bus prioritization uh, is, is very, very low. Like it, often you're talking about a single project, you're still in the millions. You don't even get into the tens and hundreds of millions and billions that have come with other things. Like I think that the King Street pilot, it wasn't something like $2 million?
0: Yep, $2 million. Which is a song for, for people who don't study mm-hmm. municipal budgets. That that's a song. Like that might it's sound amazing. like a lot of money. It's not.
1: It's a rounding error in the, the a budget for the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could absolutely, you know, make a big difference and we make a big difference in other areas that are also still important, like safety, like collisions, injury and in death. Um, When you put in dedicated lanes for different vehicles and modes, you reduce, you you tend to improve the speed of everybody and you reduce collisions and injury and death for everyone. Um, We ought to care about that because I think we have a little bit of a crisis in terms of uh, where cars seem to end up and uh, how they injure and kill cyclists and pedestrians, um, often who are not even on the road. Um, you know, these are also things that are byproducts of good public transit. Um, and they're really important byproducts. Uh, reducing pollution, mm-hmm. you know, also a really good byproduct, uh, you know, in a place where asthma is the leading cause of hospitalization of children. Right. Like this, but it's this transformation of thinking. And I'm encouraged by some of the mayoral candidates who, you know, seem to be coming from from that direction. And I I hope at a minimum it's um you know, it's starting some new conversations, and I hope at a minimum that we get a, a new slew of councillors who are certainly there are some great people running for council. Uh, you know, advocating these 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 same things, um, and and also I I hear a little bit more in the conversation with every municipal election uh, about how everything you know fits together: housing, the environment, transit. You know, these are all part and parcel of the the same thing. Um, up in terms of building a better city and making those connections is really important because I, I I find that the conversations coming out of city hall sometimes fragment them as if we can get away with uh, doing one and it won't cost the other because we have a land use problem. I think the gardeners are really good. The decision making around the gardeners are a really good example of that as well as our, our housing policies. Um, and there's a lot we can do with transit. I'm obviously a big advocate for doing what we can through transit. But there are still limits to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the best transit plan, as uh, the guy from Vancouver says, is a, is a good land use plan. And right. so we've got to put all these pieces together to really build a better city. And we've got to have more ambition and expectation for a better city than than we have in Toronto at the moment.
0: I will just say, uh, lest people think that uh, that I, I'm endorsing uh, Penalosa, because I, I don't do endorsements. Uh, th- this fast lane plan is not without its critics, and I was uh, on Steve Monroe's uh, transit blog, which uh, you know transit nerds know. Uh, when when Steve Monroe has something to say, you you, you pay attention. Uh, he he does just he's he's not against the idea. He just kind of bemoans the idea that once again, uh, when we're talking about this 3.2 billion um we're still forgetting to talk about uh, the operating costs so we get we get these new electric buses and we have more rapid service um you know that's that's more stuff that's more power that's you know uh so uh, we i don't know if we we ever get to talk about operating expenses uh during elections it's it's just about like like you said Trish the the, the shiny shiny but uh you know it's uh, i would love to see more more bus service but uh that is a, the looming question is uh, how do we pay to operate it?
1: It's, it's amazing to think that in, in a twisted way, when it comes to actually finding the money for these things, Rob Ford was more of a transit champion because <laughs> Rob Ford, who never wanted to raise anybody's taxes, you know, for anything actually added, right. That additional tax for the Scarborough subway mm-hmm. like he actually increased Toronto's taxes with a dedicated thing for transit. I mean, how sad is it that you compare unfavorably on transit with Rob Ford, whose record on transit, you know, otherwise is not that strong, shall mm-hmm. we say. Um, but I would say Tory doesn't even compare favorably with him, especially on that fundamental question of coming up with the money.
2: Yeah, and I do think like the pandemic when ridership dropped, we saw the provincial and federal governments provide, you know, uh, temporary emergency funds to the TTC to so they continue to run service. But if you actually do the math on that and look at what the subsidy ended up being for transit service during the pandemic, it still compares like pretty well to like normal subsidies that other transit systems get for operating in other North American cities uh, and probably worldwide cities in some places as well. So this idea where it's like, oh, all this money that we got uh the city tbc got during the pandemic is just like way too much and we got to find a way to get back to where we were before when you know something like 65 70 percent of the operating funds were coming from the fare box and not from government subsidy it is ridiculous like this could be a, a new status quo where it's like okay instead of just always going to the fare box and hiking up fares to provide or just keep up with inflation uh There's an opportunity for governments to say, hey, this is probably how it ought to be. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Most most cities have dedicated revenue streams um, that they can also count on. Some of them come from, um, you know, uh, other levels of government and some of them come from dedicated taxes. Um, But regardless, it also makes it predictable and they're large amounts of money. Um, that feed into the system. Yeah. Toronto relies on the fare box for both the TTC, by the way, and Go Transit uh, to a very high extent. It is upwards of about 70 percent. And nobody else in in North America is really with a comparable system is anywhere near that. And actually, most of our neighbors aren't uh, aren't near that either. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: To close things out, uh, I want to ask you both, uh, is there anything you've seen so far that gives you hope or is there anything you're hoping to see or, uh, you know, something that I missed that uh, you'd just like to uh, draw listeners attention to?
2: Um, not directly related to transit, but I am impressed with the ambition of Toronto's bike share system for expansion for 2025, mm-hmm. um, getting bikes in every ward. There's been some operational challenges with expansion in terms of, you know, maintenance of bikes and the e-bikes that they've added. And, you know, I find that they are often, uh, hard to find and when I do find them the battery isn't charged, but uh, I like that there is this real ambition to sort of, you know, Give us a map that has all these little dots on it saying, you know, by 2025, you're going to be able to get bikes in all these places all over the city Uh, and electric bikes in the network at, you know, more range and uh, I think will encourage more people to ride them. So I I do think that this is an actual example of a a publicly funded transportation uh, thing that actually has ambition and is saying, you know, what we really want to expand aggressively and it just stands out because if you look at you know the the other aspects of transportation in the city there's just not that level of ambition it's you know we're getting the status quo or maybe a little bit worse and that's it so uh kudos to the bike share system for giving us uh, something that actually seems forward-looking
1: um i i absolutely agree on that it's been really nice in the last couple of years to see um you know the stations where you can pick up the bikes kind of creep farther and farther away from the downtown. You know to make an appearance. Uh, you know uh, up the hill, even right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think the first time I noticed that was I came across one somewhere along Eglinton and went, "Oh, hey, <laughs> it's of <not laughs> this far." Like, and I, I completely agree. I think it's a really, really good sign. Um, I'm I'm not super good at, at hope. <laughs> um, uh, I think the other. The other thing that makes me um, that I'm vaguely hopeful about is um, is is the kind of uh, resilience of the advocates for you know a, a more kind of i guess public city you know for this kind of investment in the public realm mm-hmm. and I'm a little encouraged by. Um, would appear to be possibly serious efforts out of city hall to improve public consultation, which may bring more of those voices in because I think it's pretty clear from our discussion. And I think we all know from our our, other, kind of study of, of the city that there are some voices, you know, property owners with people with backyards and cars and, you know, white collar jobs downtown and so on who really seem to have a disproportionate say in uh, what gets done and doesn't get done in the city um, they don't represent the majority of city residents at all, and they certainly don't represent the majority of city residents in need of better services but it's been we, we don't we or we haven't had uh, a public consultation system really across the board in the city the way other cities do that really creates space for those voices to come in for people to really meaningfully participate and and bring about changes because when they do come through, like sometimes really good things happen at, a, you know, kind of micro level. And so there is a recent uh, initiative on the part of City Hall to in a sort of another stab at, at really reimagining how we do public consultation. And if that could happen, uh, you know, in a really meaningful way, that could make a difference in a lot of areas. Um, so I I the extent that I hope, uh, I, I think there's some there's some reason to hope there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Trisha Wood, Matt Elliott, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, how can people find you and your work? Uh, for me, uh,
2: CityHallWatcher.com has some details on my weekly newsletter about all things municipal uh, affairs, politics, government, all that stuff. Um, got some good election content going right now, so you can check that out. Uh, and then I am in the Toronto Star, uh, usually every Tuesday, but you, at least once a week. So you can find my my thoughts uh, in the pa- pages of that August newspaper as well.
1: Uh, I'm at York University in the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change, so you can find me there. I also still uh, a little occasionally write for spacing. so you can find me there. And I'm also. Uh, currently um, posting lovely pictures of the Madrid Metro and the Barcelona Metro on Twitter at PKB Wood.
0: Right, and uh, you're a graphic mat on Twitter. Uh, graphic mat, forever and always. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, I, this wasn't as grim as uh, as it could have been. Uh, I I always enjoy <laughs> talking transit with you too. Thank you.
1: Great, thanks for the chat.
0: Okay, cheers. That is the show. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this election special, please tell your friends and share it around on social media. Let's get people out to the polls. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find that music on SoundCloud at track 82. That's all spelled out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops, you can tweet at us at Spacing radio that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca where we have non-stop election coverage. Visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. And don't forget to pick up our special election issue of the magazine. Cheers.